Welcome to the Dental MBA podcast, focusing on strategies for dental business owners and leaders to grow thriving and profitable practices. This podcast is powered by eAssist Dental Solutions, the nation's leading platform for outsourced dental billing and revenue cycle management services. All guests have been invited to share their insights based on their knowledge and expertise in the business of dentistry. Their opinions and recommendations are their own, and you should consult with your own professional advisors with respect to your own practice. Welcome to another episode of the Dental MBA podcast brought to you by eAssist Dental Solutions. I'm Penny Reed. I'm your host, and I am super excited to have Dr. Mark Costas with us today. You guys are going to learn so much from him. He's just not only an amazing business professional, an amazing human being, many accomplishments, very humble. And I know that you guys will walk away with a lot of tips and strategies to take your practices to the next level. So Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Penny. This is really great. I mean, you and I have known each other from afar and, and, uh, recently reconnected at Thrive Live in in Las Vegas and that was one of the one of the positive things that I pulled from that meeting is uh, connecting with you in person so so yes thank you so much i'm i'm really really happy to be here yeah awesome so while so many uh, different avenues where we could begin and many of you may not know uh, about Dr. Costas, which would be kind of a hard thing if you've been around in the dental industry, but you know, it's uh, sometimes that can happen. So uh, Mark, would you share with us a little bit about uh, not only what got you into dentistry, but what, what began to develop uh, your passion for helping dentists and launching your dental success companies? Yeah. Thank you so much for the question. Um, so Gosh, let me take this back to high school and I promise I'll be brief. So um, 16 years old, I'm playing in my very first varsity baseball game. Uh, I was the starting left fielder. Big kid gets up to the plate and hits a home run in my direction. I misjudged it badly and ran face first into the left field fence. And, and with that, I lost, um, well, I broke or avulsed um, all of my anterior top teeth and I broke my jaw. So that was six through 11, major trauma. Um, and I was escorted off the field. And then when I woke up, I had an ortho wire and no front teeth, basically no upper front teeth. Um, and the next 18 months were spent in and out of dental offices, dental specialty offices, plastic surgery offices. And they, uh, they were able to, this amazing team was able to restore my smile. And that was the very first introduction to my desire to potentially be a practitioner, a clinician, and do what these amazing people were able to do. Uh, the only problem was that I was a, a kid that had learning disabilities and attention problems all through high school. And so um, I played collegiate college football for uh, a couple of years. And then um, I decided to hang up the cleats and focus on trying to get into dental school. And my learning disabilities kind of persisted and I had maybe an average dental school application, average test scores, uh, average GPA. Um, so when I started applying to dental schools, you could imagine that I wasn't getting accepted, right? So it ended up taking me three years and 21 tries to finally get a single acceptance into dental school. Um, during that time, 
that ended up being a really, really important time for me because I bought my first business, which was a catering truck. And I also um, applied for and got accepted to the executive MBA program at the University of San Diego. 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 Period, three and a half year period that I was not in dental school. And so I got to dental school with a different perspective. First of all, I didn't ever take my degree for granted, right? Uh, or the fact that I was in dental school that I finally got accepted. Um, it wasn't easy for me like it was for a lot of my classmates that went straight into the best, you know, undergrads and had their pick of dental schools and were the top of their class. That wasn't me. I was the person that barely got in. So I had a different kind of um, perspective and uh, a, a gratitude for being there. Um, also, I had a different level and depth of business understanding than other people did. So when I got into dental school, I knew that I was already kind of delayed. I was behind my classmates, so I knew that I had to make up for time. So I decided while I was still in dental school that I wanted to be a multiple practice owner, and I was going to leverage some of my business knowledge to become a multiple practice owner. And fast forward, I guess, 21 years, I just sold the last of my uh, 16 dental practices uh, six months ago and hung up the handpiece. Um, uh it was a really, really incredible journey. But all along the way, owning 16 dental practices, I learned a lot about uh, how to be a more effective leader, how to be more systemized, um, how to be more profitable and efficient. And I learned that in the trenches, doing things pretty much, doing pretty much everything the wrong way first, and then being able to correct course and then learn it the right way. And it was about 12 years ago that I opened my coaching and consultancy business called the Dental Success Institute. Eight years ago that I started my podcast, which now is, you know, in 151 countries. I'm so blessed. And uh, so that's that's kind of an abbreviated version of my history. Wow. Wow. Well, I, and then the first time I ever heard you speak was at the Dental Speaker Institute. And you shared your story in more depth and detail uh, because you were giving a keynote about what brought you into dentistry and what a, I mean, what a compelling story in, in your very abbreviated version, like today, we're not really able to give it justice, but it, it really is a testament to, you know, not only with that happening to have you really have that desire and drive to go into dentistry, but also when you look at all the rejection that you faced and all of the adversity to even get into dental school, uh, it, it shaped who you were uh, to make you become, you know, someone who's really able to help and to really come at dentistry from a different angle than most dentists do. So, uh, who, who knew when you were going through all that, that that was preparing you not only for your businesses, but also to be able to, to help others. That's awesome. And, and here's what I would say is something that we have in common, something else that we have in common. You were talking about learning by making mistakes. When I was a dental office manager, I think I made all of them. I mean, I called, I know I called one or two denture patients on accident because I didn't know where to look to see that they didn't have any teeth to tell them that they were past due for their hygiene appointment. Right. I mean, that, that has to top, that has to top them all right there. So um, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us more about the dental success companies, you know, the history of, of how you started them and probably what your why was uh, would, would love to hear about that. Sure. Interestingly enough, the, the dental success companies happened by accident. Um, when I was uh, when I had my first four dental practices here in Arizona, um, we were having a very difficult time uh, staffing them up. Um, 
rural areas don't have people with a lot of dental experience. Oftentimes, uh, there, it, there's um, a large percentage of the people that um, aren't versed in technical trades. A lot of people would go to the junior college or join the military or be, you know, uh, get involved with real estate or hospitality or even become medical assistants. But very few people were interested in dentistry uh, in my rural area. So we were having a very difficult time uh, staffing up these practices that were very vibrant and doing very well. But that was always one of the big things that we struggled with, uh, with was human resources and getting enough really good qualified people into our dental practices. So I came up with this idea that we would we would start training inside my offices and I created um, a curriculum for a dental assisting school. And so we started teaching dental assistants in the lobby of my of some of my dental offices and we teach them hands-on and then we would teach them um, uh, kind of the 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 vocabulary, et cetera, of dental assisting. And it was a 12 week course and we got it passed through the the state board of post-secondary education. And it became a, an additional profit center because we were able to use the dent, the, the dental office as basically our classroom. So other people started asking me how I did this. And we were able to cherry pick some of the best people from those classes. And it, it's funny, you know, 20 years later, some of the, the original people that, uh, you know, trained with me as dental assistants are still in the field and uh, some are hygienists, some are dentists now. So wow. it, it was a really cool start of, you know, getting into education. So I started speaking on stages because people would ask how I was able to create this other profit center and cherry pick the best students from my dental assisting schools. And that blew up into um, Horizon Schools of Dental Assisting, where we ended up with over 220 uh, locations of the dental assisting school around the country. Um, and when the time had come and, you know, that, that company had ran its course because we basically sold all of the territories throughout the country. Uh, people started asking me to speak on stages about my multiple practice ownership and some of the things that I learned as a dental practice owner, a multiple practice owner. And that spun off into people asking if I could coach them onto you know, to be a more effective business owner, which I started doing one at a time. And that that kind of snowballed into the Dental Success Institute where we had 12 clients to begin with, and then, you know, 25. And now we have, you know, close to 230 clients um, from almost each of the 50 states. I think we're in, I think we're in 44 states now. Um, and that led That's to wonderful. the Dental Success Network, which, which is, you know, a buying group and, um, a virtual continuing education provider and uh, this really cool, vibrant um, communication platform. And that has almost 1400 dentists in it now. Um, so yeah, and all along the way, well, about eight years ago, uh, we started talking about all of these things and all these interactions on the podcast, which has blown up to be one of the biggest. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the history of the dental success companies. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I know one of my clients years ago, probably because he heard about your model, decided to start his own uh, and he still has it. You know, he got it approved through the board in Texas. And I think they're like on their 14th or 15th class. And it has really, uh, again, rural Texas, but it's provided him with staffing that he otherwise would not have had. And hey, you you pioneered that. Who who would have thought that we would be in the staffing crisis that we're in now? Um, and what a great model 
that that is. And, and I love how you've learned how to do things and, you know, simply shared with others and it's created that demand, um, that organic demand for, uh, the services and the groups that you put together. That's awesome. Um, I would love to hear, you know, you've, you've not talked about the word necessarily yet, uh, or these words yet you've highlighted when you're talking about your history and the things that you've put together, uh, a couple of different principles, one being leadership, you know, obviously you've got many people that are coming to you for not only thought leadership, but also the systems that you've put together. So I, I would love to hear some key insights from you, even though I know this is probably like a three-day course that you teach um, on what's most important about leadership and the systems in the practice. Oh, this is great. I, thank you so much. What a great, what a great question. Um, you know, leadership and systemization go hand in hand. You can't have a great systemized practice unless you are first a good leader. And leadership is one of those kind of fuzzy terms that people throw around and like, I, I want to be a better leader or leadership is the hallmark of my dental practice. But when you go to define it, a lot of people can't put their finger on exactly what that means. What does it mean to be a good leader? Um, first of all, it does not mean that you're super charismatic or you're able to hold a conversation for an hour talking into a screen, into a Zoom screen, uh, or comfortable speaking in front of a thousand people on stage at a dental conference, that does not necessarily mean leadership. Leadership more than anything else just means that you have a connection with the people that are following you and you um, are able to share with them very, very crystal clear expectations of what success looks like for their position, right? So when you break that down, it really is quite simple. Like, the, the ability to communicate in an empathetic manner, empathetic manner, and the ability to really just say, hey, here's what I expect from you, and here are the resources that I'm going to provide to you, and here's the support that I'm going to give you, and let's check in you know, once a week, and let, let's make sure that there's some accountabilities that if you're straying from, from, our, from the path that we've mutually agreed upon, then we have kind of a mechanism to bring you back and and um, here is your exact definition of what success looks like for your position. And if you can do that in an effective manner, then you, you know, you have become a strong leader. Uh, once again, it doesn't require a bunch bunch of charisma, but it does take a caring approach in order to do that and uh, not alienate your people. Now, there's a difference between an, an effective leader and a micromanager. An effective leader gives their team enough leeway to be able to get to the desired result with enough autonomy that they can author their own path to a certain degree. A micromanager stands over their shoulder and makes sure that every single step is exactly the way that it was designed on a piece of paper. And that usually leads to burnout and a uh, very, very high turnover. So yeah. um, with that, uh, with that definition comes the ability for the leader to create systems that help to run the dental practice, right? So effective systems don't mean that you're reading off, like once again, a checklist or a piece of paper uh, and not looking up all day long. It just, it just means that, hey, we all have a common goal here and we're going to get to it together. And you can help me design what that looks like, but we're going to do that the same way every single time. Uh, so systemization, before I had systemization, everybody was kind of, coming to me. And at one point I had 120 uh, team members and 
before uh, I learned how to be a good leader and become a very systemized, it was a very, very difficult position to be in with, with all those humans looking to me for um, guidance. Uh, and I have to say that I was probably less stressed um, after having, you know, 14 dental practices at once versus having three dental practices in the beginning when I didn't understand these concepts. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking, did you say a hundred, 140, how many, how many teams? 120. 120. 120. Well, and you've got, not only got them, you have their interpersonal relationships with each other. That's like, that almost equals a million, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot of, uh, that's a yeah. lot of relationships and teams and different things like that. So, um, you know, I love what you said about leadership, because I think so many of us now, if you throw a term like culture out, a lot of people may say, oh, you know, I don't really know what that is. But most people, if you would say, well, what's leadership, they might at first say, well, I know exactly what that is. Uh, yet, I, I love that, that you kind of that, touched that, on that, that most that, people, that, most people don't. It's true. Um, culture is another big one, Penny. You and I could talk all day about culture. We could, we could talk all day about <laughs> But but leadership is one of those things that people I don't, I don't think people recognize that um, leadership takes a soft touch, but it also takes kind of uh, really uh, strong parameters and expectations. Um, I for a long time was a micromanager. I was I was like a dictatorial leader, and I thought you know that I thought that was the right thing to do. I thought you know never let anybody take advantage of you. Make sure that you know, it's your way of the highway and that it just simply doesn't work. Not even, not just in today's human resources climate, but ever like in the history of humans, mm -hmm. it's never been an effective way to lead people. And to me, as I've gotten, you know, um, more seasoned in the industry, uh, I have to say that it's more and more important to me to make sure that my people respect me first. Um, liking me is, is, is an added bonus, but not necessary, but respect me first and, and feel as though they're supported in their position. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then you have, you have elevated to become a strong yeah. leader. That's great. So I would, you know, because I was a practice management coach for many, many years. I mean, obviously I think the first thing would be, well, Hey, Mark, how do we go about getting systems? I would say, don't reinvent the wheel you know, work with, yeah. it's like, how do I improve my golf game? Well, you can go out every single day with your golf clubs by yourself, you know, and, and work to try to improve your game and, and come up with better processes, or you can hire a coach. So, um, you know, yeah. if someone says, okay, how, how does one go about, you know, what's the mindset or the process for developing a system for improving something, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing that, but, but let me first and foremost say, big believer in coaching. Uh, that's how we began to grow the first practice that I ever worked in and how I found out about consulting was what I would say was we did it the hard way for a while. And then uh, we found a group that we thought, Hey, we'll give them a try. And we got everybody on board and it was amazing what we were able to accomplish when we were all working together, rowing in the same direction and, you know, had some clear systems uh, in the practice, but uh, tell tell me a little bit about your um, your process of of developing a system for something. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, first, I'll tell you just a little quick story. When I had my first three dental practices, they were very very successful. Um, 
And, you know, I thought I was God's gift to dental practice ownership um, until my key players started leaving. You know, I had a couple office managers leave at the same time for, you know, a transfer or, you know, leaving, uh, leaving the state because their, their husband was in the military and uh, or wanted to just go into a different profession. Then I had a couple really good associates leave at the same time as well. And I realized that I wasn't the actual reason for the success of these dental practices. It was these key players and what they had in their brains. And I never took the time to download what was in their brains. Like, what were you doing that was so great? Um, and that was when I realized, oh my gosh, they had a system for running this business. I have no idea what it is. And now it's gone. You know, mm -hmm. it's gone poof with them. Now they did, you know, the the standard, um, I'm going to train somebody for a week before I leave their replacement. That's no, nowhere near um, long enough to download everything that they have in their brain. So um, I had a, this business coach that he used to say, you have to have an alien abduction manual for everybody on your team, which means that if, if anybody on your team is abducted by aliens, you could plug somebody right into their position and they have a manual that they can follow from A to Z, which is, which is going to help decrease the amount of attrition or a negative a negative effects of them leaving. So th this alien abduction manual is kind of like an operations manual for your dental practice. So w whenever we're looking at an initiative that, um, that we're trying to systemize or when we're creating um, a system for um, a role or um, a task within a dental practice, we always try to enlist the help of somebody that is, that is already doing it and doing it well. Right. So the more authorship you can get from people that exist in that position, um, the more you're going to be able to get buy in from the entire team. Right. So yeah. if you just take, you know, a 300 pound, a 300 page um, operations manual that you wrote over the weekend and just kind of throw it down on the desk and say, this is what we're doing now. You're going to get very little buy and people will never open that thing. It'll collect mm -hmm. dust and it'll just be a very. Uh, very expensive, time-consuming paperweight that you put together. But if you get people to help you um, kind of download exactly what they do from moment to moment in this particular task, and you get their authorship, then they're going to be more um, encouraged to utilize that as a training manual for the next person that is potentially taking their position or maybe a colleague that's going to be sitting next to them and, and doing some overlapping um, tasks. So we've always found that authorship is really, really important, but also making sure that you're crystal clear about what success in that particular role and that task looks like, and then reverse engineering it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you're like, okay, tell me what you do from day to day. And people are like, well, I don't know. I just, I just do it. And you have to take the time to uh, sit down with them and say, all right, we're going to break this down into chunks. And I want you to, to author what you do in order to get from this start to this this mm -hmm. uh, endpoint, and then again and again and again, until you have enough chunks to get to the end of the task, and you put it together in, an, in a manual, and then that that becomes the training manual for all future people that are are going to be sitting in that seat. Yeah, I love that, and in hearing you uh, talk about that with the authorship, and and it makes me also think, you know, which I guess an authorship is ownership that they they feel like they're part of something, and it you know, doing the same thing over and over, at least for my personality type, sounds like one of the least fun things ever to do, right? So, um, but yeah. being able to step outside of whatever a regular role may be, if I'm a dental assistant and to say, hey, you want my input on how to do this? 
Um, it it really honors uh, making them feel important. And to your point, going back to what you said about leadership, I mean, that's a genuine way to do that as well. You know, it, it elevates them. Um, it, it puts everybody on the same playing field. And, and I, I love the thought process on that. Um, and it makes me think, you know, my start uh, as a consultant, I started out with fortune management and, you know, it was co-founded by Tony Robbins. And at the time he was still very active uh, in fortune. And, and I remember one time him talking about we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. And so, you know, as you were talking through that, the dental assistants in your organizations now are standing on the shoulders of the ones that came before, right? That already knew how to do this, right? And they were, you through your systems were able to capture that and pass that along. And I think that's the essence of what it means, you know, to work together and, and to grow and develop. So um, I love the thought process behind that. And I, I'm sure that will be helpful to those listening, but let me also say, um, and you'll hear me, you know, say it many times in many different places, big believer in having a coach. I had a couple of different business coaches when I had my uh, small business and maybe it's from years of playing sports, right? It just makes sense. You can't see what's going on on the field when you're out there in the middle of the game. It's so, so true. An objective third-party view and advice based on what somebody sees that's not completely focused on your everyday life is so, so valuable. I mean, you could, you could utilize so many different analogies, a lot from the sports world. It's like, you know, the best in the world, the best, anything LeBron has a coach, Tiger Woods mm -hmm. has a coach, you know, um, uh, everybody that is the, a top performer, every single Olympian that, that wins a gold, gold medal has a coach. Um, and it's the ability and none of those people did it better than them. LeBron's coach can't do what he does. Tyreek's coach right. can't do what he does. And Michael Phelps's coach can't swim as fast as he can, but they have the ability to look at what you're doing from an objective third party view and say, Hey, if you did this just slightly different, we're going to shave, you know, 0 0.07 seconds off of your, your finish time or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so, so important to get that. To, to get that guidance. And I've always had coaches my entire career still do. Uh, even though I've coached maybe thousands at this point of people, um, I still have a coach that's, that's helping with business strategy. I have a coach that helps me with uh, my performance and my uh, physical output. Um, it's, it's so, so important. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I love that. Love the, the thinking and, and what you were saying too about a coach is they bring out the best in people. And when you were talking about, uh, I'll make one other leadership comment here. And then I, I definitely want to segue into, because I bet everyone's interest is peaked, uh, in learning more about how to follow more of what you do. And it made me think of John Wooden. Um, and now I never, never met him in person. I saw him on some videos and I would say he is charismatic or he was charismatic, even though he was more soft-spoken. He was one of these that very quietly led, you know, he had a presence about him. Um, and, and that was someone that came to mind as far as being a great leader without necessarily being someone that could, you know, get up on a stage and, you know, get everybody all, you know, riled up and, um, you know, and excited. So I, I think that's important because at least in my experience with coaching, uh, dentist, everybody's not, um, doesn't consider themselves to be a leader, 
right? It's like, you know, I don't really feel like I am a leader, Penny. That's why I hired you. And I'm like, well, you also hired me to, you know, help, help bring that out because one day I may, you know, I won't be here, right? We want the team to, to look at you and see you that way and see your team leaders that way. So, uh, you know, I love that you said there's not just one leadership type, because I think for a lot of people, they say that, so they think they can opt out of it. Yet I don't really think um, and, and maybe you can comment on this and then we'll talk about how others can reach you. I don't think as a, a dentist or especially a dental business owner that you can hand that leadership baton off to someone else while you're still active in the business. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's such, such great points, Penny. I, the Michael Gerber talks about the difference between delegation and abdication. Now delegation is a effectively handing off tasks when you are still uh, making sure that those tasks are doing being done correctly. That means you're you're providing all resources, you're providing accountability, you're providing support. That's that's effective delegation. Abdication is when you're just handing something over and you never check in again. It's like I don't know how to be a leader, so you're now the leader, and then you're gonna go um, you're gonna go cut crown preps. That is not effective leadership. In fact, um, that will never work. In, in business ownership, there has to be some mechanism where uh, you're holding people accountable. And ultimately, like it or not, if you're going to get into this world of uh, management, executive level, um, uh, associateship or or business ownership, you're going to have to develop some leadership muscle, like it or not. And if you yeah. can't, you'll never be the most um, uh, successful as you can be. So yes, I, I completely agree with your sentiment there, Penny. Um, and again, the difference between that delegation and abdication is is key here. If you feel as though you're handing something over to somebody else, so you never have to do it again and never check in again, it will never work. It'll never work. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Well, uh, Mark, I think I could talk to you for days, maybe without even taking a break, because um, I think you and I are in alignment in a lot of, uh, you know, how we think. And I'm, I'm definitely enjoying learning from you. And I so appreciate your investment of time to be with us today. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I will also put it in the show notes if you would share with our listeners and also viewers uh, the best way to follow uh, your podcast, the best way to learn more about your Success Institute. Sure, sure, Penny. Uh, thank you so much again for having me today. You're one of the people that I looked up to from the very beginning when I started doing this. You're one of the big names, and I really, really appreciate what you do for our profession. Um, as far as reaching out to me, it's very simple. You can go to truedentalsuccess.com and find out anything that's happening in the dental success universe. Uh, you can listen to me on the Dentalpreneur podcast. Um, type it in anywhere that you get podcasts. My kids thought it was so cool uh, when they were younger. They would say it into Alexa. Alexa, let me hear the Dentalpreneur podcast. And it was pop. It would pop up. So they thought I was like super famous because they could that's do funny. that in the car. They so thought it funny. was so cool. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I'm very active on all socials, but probably the fastest way if you want to just reach out to me is is uh, follow me on Instagram, Dr. Mark Costas, C-O-S-T-E-S. -E and if you uh, direct message me, I will get back to you almost immediately. So those are the, those are the best ways, Penny. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, we, again, appreciate it so much. And thank you for being such a good uh, friend to eAssist. And we look forward to having you on the show for a future episode, if you're willing to join us. I will always say yes if you ever ask me again. So thank you okay. so much. Awesome. Again for Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Take care. 
The Dental MBA podcast is sponsored by eAssist Dental Solutions, a platform dedicated to helping dentists get paid faster and get paid more. Dental insurance billing services provided through the eAssist platform can relieve your dental insurance headaches, get your over 90-day insurance receivables near zero, and help you collect 100% of what you're rightfully owed by insurance companies. To learn more about how the eAssist platform can solve your revenue cycle management needs or to schedule a free consultation, please visit dentalbilling.com.